are here today with Mr. Mr. Hoffman, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Austin Hoffman, and I'm Katie Tuck, and we are in the classroom with Mr. Hoffman today. This time, we get to talk about Oedipus Rex by Sophocles. You're going to have to say it. Sophocles. Sophocles. Uh, I'm glad Mr. Hoffman is leading this discussion in his classes and not me. I can't even <laughs> I can't even pronounce the author. So Oedipus Rex by... Takes practice with the Greek names, right? Like yeah. Barnacles and Spectacles and Obstacles. Yeah. The L doesn't come first. Obstacles. <laughs> I am overwhelmed. Oh, never mind. I was going to try to make a joke. It's not going to work. Anyways, welcome to our podcast today. We are um, excited to have Mr. Hoffman back. This has been a great series, Walking in His Classroom. Also, just for a little, a little plug, um, he has a um, parent class going on right now on Thursday nights. Is that a parent class? What are we calling this? Yeah, it's like continuing parent education. So, yeah. right, you wish you could go back to school or yes. you wish you could experience some of the things that your, your kids get in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Well, now's your chance. It's never too late to start. Yeah, it's great. So he's going through uh, The Abolition of Man by C.S. Lewis, Thursday nights. We just started it. My husband and I really, really enjoyed that first discussion, um, really learned a lot. So we're looking forward to it. Anyways, if you're interested and you didn't get involved that first time, reach out to Mr. Hoffman and, uh, and we'll get you connected. But um, if you're not able to do that, here's a good chance on our podcast, Entering the Classroom Humanities, where uh, Mr. Hoffman talks about Oedipus Rex. I'm not going to try saying the author again. So, <laughs> um, Mr. Hoffman, would you give us an overview of this play? Yeah, so this is a, a tragedy uh, written by, by Sophocles about this man named Oedipus. Uh, he comes to Thebes. Uh, Thebes has been uh, essentially uh, ostracized by, uh, from the surrounding towns because of this sphinx that stands guarding the door. And anyone who wants to approach the city of Thebes has to answer the sphinx's riddle. If they don't answer correctly, the, the sphinx uh, perhaps devours them or gets rid of them in some way. So the city's kind of under siege by this, this thing, this monster with uh, the, you know, the face and uh, upper torso of a woman, but yet the body of a lion. So kind of this, this creature. The sphinx creature? Well, yeah, the sphinx. Yep. Okay, and we are learning about this in the chorus at the very beginning. Yes, so they, they're retelling kind of the story how Oedipus comes to this, this city and he's able to solve the riddle. And it's actually a fairly famous riddle, so you probably have heard it before, right? Uh, what uh, walks on four legs at the beginning of its life, then two legs in the middle of its life, then three legs at the end of its life? And he answers, it's a man, right? He read first crawls, then he walks on two legs, then the, the final years walks with a cane. So he solves the city and he liberates it. Mm. But then some years later, uh, a plague comes to Thebes again. Uh, so there's, there's famine, people are dying, uh, people are getting sick, and they're trying to find who the culprit is. Uh, a large part of the way that ancient Greeks would have thought about the world is that uh, sin or hubris or harmartia brings some kind of nemesis from the gods, that they're going to correct, the, correct things. Uh, they're going to judge. And so what you want to do is you need to find the person who's responsible for the plague and you need to scapegoat them or you, you need to, to execute them and then the plague will be averted. Hmm. So a lot of the play is trying to find out who is the cause of this plague. And Oedipus is running around saying, look, I, I solved the riddle of the Sphinx. I can fix this problem. It's you, uh, Creon, my, my uh, what would he be, uh, brother-in-law. Hmm. Uh, it's, it's you over here. It's you. Uh, you're the one who, who's the cause of this. And then uh, midway through, through the play, it starts being unveiled that it's actually Oedipus. Mm. Um, and, and early on, the, the seer says, right, the problem is somebody murdered their father and uh, has married their mother uh, or sleeps with their mother, right? And it's gross and it's hard. And they're trying to find who did this horrible thing. Well, as the play continues, it's gradually revealed that it is, in fact, Oedipus that has done both of these things. Uh, and so 
his wife and mother, uh, Jocasta, runs out in horror, kills herself. Uh, Oedipus gouges out both of his eyes because uh, he, he doesn't want to, he, he wants to mark himself, right, as, as a criminal, and he's exiled from the city. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's a tragedy. It takes place in maybe a span of a few hours. Uh, that's kind of the classical um, mode of tragedy is that it has to be very short, mm-hmm. uh, and it's, it's horrifying. Yeah, it, it is horrifying. So I just listened to it on Audible um, before our discussion. I think I read it a long time ago. But it was much more horrifying this time as I read it and I was cleaning my house. But you could listen to it for it's like an hour. And I would highly recommend that Audible um, download to yeah. just listen to it and hear yeah. it. But and you may even be able to find stage productions of it. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's, I believe it's still frequently performed. Uh, I know uh, Sophocles wrote a number of plays concerning Oedipus. Uh, one of them concerns his daughter Antigone. Uh, and I actually saw a version of that with uh, National Theater Live. They do a subscription service, and that was very, very good and well done. Mm. So you may be able to find Oedipus Rex. Yeah. Um, performed. If you want to. You might also <laughs> not want to see it performed, but yeah, no, yeah. I'm just kidding. Well, but. I mean, one of, the, one of the things about Greek plays that we've sort of lost is the, the word obscene, right, literally means off-scene, off-stage. Yeah. So a lot of the, the horror or the gore that we want to put on full display in our movies and, and get that R rating uh, they would just have off scene and tell you about it. Mm-hmm. So you're not actually seeing it a lot of times because they would say, no, you shouldn't be de- portraying that. You shouldn't be displaying that. Right. Uh, art is supposed to teach you something about life, and we don't want to encourage this kind of uh, uh, curiosity, I guess you might call it, or, or vulgar uh, love of gore. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like we could go off on a rabbit trail, but I remember somebody telling me a long time ago as my kids were growing up, it is very different to read something than watch something, which is obvious, but with reading something, it'll only take you as long as your imagination will go it's exactly yeah. what you're talking about and watching something just sort of um invades their imagination in a way yeah. that probably was not meant to be if yeah. it's obscene uh, yeah. i guess things yeah. that are supposed to be taking off yeah so even even in performing this play right jocasta's yeah. uh, suicide they don't show right. they tell you about it uh, uh yeah. oedipus uh, maybe gouging his eyes out i don't believe they would show either they describe it afterwards it was horrifying to listen yeah, to, though. It's, it's gruesome. I really had to. I had to turn it off for a second. Yeah, and in some ways, this is the right. This is the only horror story ever written, and everything else is kind of uh, recapitulating it. Yeah. Just this, this sudden uh, reversal of, of fate and recognition. Like, no, you are the man, and then uh, having to try and reconcile that. Yeah, absolutely. So, thank you for the overview. You you gave us a little bit of a background too. Anything else you want to give us uh, for a background yeah. in history? Yeah. So. Sophocles, as an author, uh, is, is born uh, really just before the Persian War. So he lives through the Persian Wars. As, as uh, the Persians are invading Greece, uh, there's really two main waves uh, where, which Greece successfully repels and kind of wins their independence, right? The small David against the giant Goliath. Um, he, he dies in about 406 BC, so he also lives through the Peloponnesian Wars, which is more of a civil war between Sparta and Athens. I mean, they're, they're not united as one Greek nation, so maybe you can't call it a civil war, but it's Greek versus Greek. And he lives through both of these. Um, now, Athens had a uh, sort of an annual festival, a religious festival, where they would have uh, different uh, playwrights perform their, their works or bring them out. And so each year, this is kind of a religious ceremony, uh, and there's a competition for it. Well, Sophocles uh, is, writes something like 120 plays, so he's incredibly prolific. We only have seven of them, I believe, mm, yeah. uh, that have survived in complete form. And he is able to win uh, 24 of the 30 competitions that he competes in. Yeah. Uh, now, to give you a comparison, I, 
Aeschylus and Euripides, who are two other playwrights just before and just after Sophocles, respectively, although they do compete against each other. Um, each of them uh, won perhaps in the range of, of three to five. Oh, okay. wow. So Sophocles is, is incredible as a, a playwright and was incredibly successful in, in winning this competition. Yeah. Um, this wasn't just entertainment for them. It also played a political and religious function. This is part of why they loved tragedy so much. Hmm. Uh, it wasn't like, oh, let's go, you know, we're bored on a Friday night. Let's go see something entertaining. Uh, that's not really what they're doing. Uh, instead, they saw these plays as performing an essential function of purging excessive emotion from them, uh, namely the emotions of fear and pity. Wow. So at times before the Athenian assembly would meet to decide on these great decisions, to go to war, not go to war, right? Uh, deal with this threat, not deal with this threat. They would have to watch a tragedy so that they would be purged of these emotions of fear and, and pity. Uh, oh. It would be kind of all used up on the characters in the play and so that they wouldn't make bad decisions from this, this excess of emotion. Huh. Right? And those are really the two main emotions that the tragedians are trying to produce in you when you watch them. Uh, in a sense, you should have pity for the person who's falling. Right? Mm -hmm. If they're an evil character, you're not going to pity them because they, they got what they deserved. If they're too good, if they're kind of a perfect character, then uh, this, this could uh, lead to an effect like, well, why try at all? Yeah. Um, so they're trying to strike this middle way, right? It's a good character, but not too good. Um, can't be evil because then you just say he got what he deserved. Um, and then they want you to, to pity him. They also want you to fear that something like that could, could happen to you. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there's this sense in which uh, it's so um, unpredictable that Oedipus is trying to avoid this. He knows it's wrong, uh, but it sort of happened to him by fate or by the God's will, and he was almost trapped in this. Mm. Uh, and, and so this raises all these, these kinds of questions like, how am, I, how am I living my life? How am I going to escape this, this nemesis uh, of the gods if I've, I've sinned even unknowingly? Yeah. So yeah, lots, lots going on. Lots going on. So I'm curious too, if these are being written to purge this emotion for you know, this political climate, for this climate, um, can you tell us a little bit about Sophocles? Soph Sophocles? Sophocles? Sophocles. Uh, I don't think I'm going to be able to edit this out of the podcast, <laughs> so you're going to have to hear me stumble over that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Sophocles is, is very often um, concerned with, you know, like most of the, the trage uh, tragedy, tragedians. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Thank you're you. rubbing off on me. Thank you. Tra no, tragedians are concerned with issues of, of justice in the city, right? How does the community live together? So in another one of his plays, he's concerned with kind of the, the individual good versus... Or, the individual good versus the public good. Yeah. Right? How do we reconcile those? How do we reconcile duties towards the gods with duties towards the state? Um, Aeschylus, another Greek playwright who's coming just before Sophocles, right? he's, he's concerned with similar things. So in one of his situations, um, Agamemnon returns from the, the uh, Trojan War. His wife murders him. And uh, his son is trying to figure out what he's supposed to do because he has a duty to avenge his father, yeah. but he has a duty to his mother. Um, and so he ends up, uh, killing his mother as well, but now you've also committed a crime. And so there, it's almost like there's no way out, and they're trying to reconcile all these things and figure out how do we uh, achieve or bring about justice in this world. Mm. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, that tragic mindset is sort of coming back as the dominant mindset in our time. Uh, it's interesting that the Greeks especially, like this is the way they viewed the world, right? You are always at the mercy of the gods. Um, you can try and live justly, but ultimately you have no control about, uh, about it. And it could go terribly wrong for you at any moment. Mm -hmm. When Christ comes into the world, the, the dominant form uh, shifts to comedy, right? There's that uh, conflict. There's this crisis. It seems insurmountable. But then against all odds, right, the small hero is able to 
to conquer over death or whatever uh, foe he's facing and, and everything's restored at the end and there's, mm-hmm. there's harmony. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the dominant form. That's, that's where most of the stories have gone after Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet I think we're seeing also a rise back to that tragic mindset where no, no matter what you do, if things are going to go wrong and it's uncontrollable, mm-hmm. if there's always something just on the edge of your actions that could break in and, and wreck your life. So tread carefully. Tread carefully, man. And there's nothing new under the sun. Getting rid of history, getting rid of these plays in our <laughs> curriculum. That's why mm-hmm. I'm so thankful our, our kids are studying them because um, they're learning so much as they go deep and ask these deeper questions. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah and, and we need, need these stories, we right? Do. The, the Bible yeah. has tragic stories, right? You read the mm-hmm. story of Saul. It's a, it's a tragic narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this king who's given, given everything, but he can't uh, hold on to it. Yep. Uh, David's story is a, is a tragic fall, right? He has that, that rise. But then after the sin with Bathsheba, everything starts going south. He can't maintain his own family. It's a, it's a tragic story. Yeah. Uh, Genesis 3, right? It's a tragic story. So yeah. you, you need these as part, of our, as part of our life to, again, purge those emotions and um, bring them out in us to the proper degree. Yep. Right? Uh, we need to fear, uh, you know, lest we fall. Absolutely. Um, right? And so you have that, that same idea in, in Proverbs as well and yeah. all throughout scripture. Well, I'm reading First Chronicles right now, all the kings, the, the rise and fall of those kings and how... Joash was preserved in the house line of David and how that, how that continued, um, even in the midst of everybody else being killed, but like the idols being erected and then tearing, torn down. Uh, yeah. I, I was even thinking of Jonah when you first started talking about, um, mm-hmm. about Oedipus, like, yeah. um, looking for other people to blame, but yeah. actually. Or, or story of Job. Job, right? yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. You know, if he did not maintain his in- integrity, I mean, that's, that's very similar in a lot of ways to this, this kind of story, right? So, so some have speculated that Job is kind of this uh, local leader you know, some sort of king. And part of why his friends are so upset at him is that they think he actually has sinned and he's brought the wrath of the gods and he just needs to take one for the team. Mm. Uh, so this kind of scapegoat idea. And so it's, it's interesting to try and read Oedipus alongside Job and see if that's the same thing going on. Mm. You know, the, the Oedipus is searching for the real reason this is happening. It turns out to be him. Job is searching for the real reason this is happening. His friends want to say, yeah, it's you. Just mm-hmm. take one for the team and then this, this crisis is averted kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. Great. Um, okay, so as we let's get into the play a little bit deeper. I don't know if you want to start with the chorus or start with themes, uh, but I'd love to talk about some of the characters. Um, talk about. Well, I'd be curious to to hear your your reactions to to listening to it. Okay. Recently. Okay. Well, so um, you'll have to. I was cleaning as I was listening <laughs> to it. I was planning on going back to listen to take notes, but I didn't. So my I was really interested to see several themes of like blindness. So he was blind to his own, his own issues, his own, I don't know, sin or his own, I don't know, tragedy, I guess in the midst of it, he's trying to, like you said, blame other people, but there was like the prophet who actually, I don't remember his name. Yeah. Yeah, He was blind, but he was the one who saw everything and saw, he actually gave the, the prophecy like, Oh no, this is, this is happening. Um, and you're the one, uh, and then he talked a lot about his sire, his father, which he didn't know it was his father that he mm-hmm. murdered, but he, he brought that, that through a lot. Um, there are lots of themes like that. It was very ironic. Some mm-hmm. of the themes that he, he kept talking about were, um, so the blindness, the, uh, yeah, his fatherhood, his, his, how disgusted he was. And then as he learned that it actually was him, just, he was trying to, he was trying to avoid it. And then, um, he knew that this was the prophecy against him, right? Or against him. He was part of this prophecy, 
So he was trying to get out of it. Yeah. So you were talking about the freedom within whatever the gods, right. you know, have, have already ordained. Um, and he's trying to, to avoid it, but he didn't yeah. at the end. Um, so that was really interesting. Yeah, I think, I think it would probably be helpful in my overview. I skipped over some aspects of the story, right, trying to condense it. Um, but as we, as, as we come to find out, um, Laius and Jocasta, Oedipus's parents, had a prophecy that their son was going to kill his father. Yep. And so naturally they try and avoid this. So what they do is they have the infant, uh, they pin his ankles together and, leave, and tell a shepherd to leave him exposed on the mountain to die, right? Because they don't want this to come true, obviously. Well, as, you know, this is the setup to so many stories, right? Kill the child and they don't. Yep. Uh, Oedipus uh, is handed over to another shepherd. That shepherd goes back to his king and Oedipus is raised in the household of this king uh, as the king's son. Uh, they have no other children. He's kind of the next heir. Uh, but then, of course, the the prophecy comes to him there, you're going to kill your father. So he says, no, I don't want to do that. So he leaves. Yep. Uh, on, while he's on the road, he encounters an old man at this meeting place of three roads. The old man is, is incredibly rude to him, like tries to knock him off the road mm -hmm. sort of thing. And Oedipus strikes him in anger uh, and then kills the rest of his band of men. Well, as the story unfolds, uh, the claim is that this, is, this old man is, uh, in fact, Laius, Oedipus's father. Oedipus then, then comes back, solves the riddle of the Sphinx, as a reward, right, he, he marries the widowed queen who turns out to be his mother. Um, but yet, all of these people at every point were trying to avoid this thing. And yeah. so you have the, the self-fulfilling prophecy, right? I, again, a, kind of a motif in ancient literature that comes up. You get this prophecy, you're trying to avoid it, but in trying to avoid it, you end up fulfilling it. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's rough, right? Because <laughs> then you start, start thinking of your, your own life, right? And how do I avoid wrecking my life before I, I turn, turn 30 or I turn 40 or whatever? <laughs> and like, maybe the things that I am uh, most concerned with are actually the things that are, are going to be the most destructive. Yeah. Um, and there's a sense in which Oedipus can't escape it no matter what he does. Right. Um, so I think this is where Jocasta almost steps in and says, like, stop trying to know. Like, stop, stop, stop. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the questions that I always have is, like, is how much does she know and when does she know that this is her, her son? Um, because there seems to be a point where she just starts saying, like, don't, don't pursue this. Uh, the way you live in, in a wild world is you just you know, live by chance. Uh, we can't control it, but it's better not to know. And she wants to claim, like, I, I didn't know that this was my son, but, you know, did she? Yeah. Right? And, yeah. you know, that's, that's the horror story, right? Uh, what do you know that you're suppressing and, and keeping down? You want to say, oh, I didn't know the effects this would ha have. I, want, uh, I didn't know where this would lead. But you did know. Mm -hmm. you, you did know the whole time. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's rough. So many proverbs I'm thinking of right <laughs> now. <laughs> it's very true. Are Jocasta and Tiresias, I didn't explain the prophet very well or, or talk about that prophet, the blind prophet. Yeah. But it was... It, He's blind, but he's also trying to shield um, Oedipus from the truth, I think, too. Yeah, so, so he, he, comes on the, he comes on the scene, and Oedipus is sort of interrogating him. And at first, uh, Tiresias demurs, and he doesn't want to say. But then Oedipus finally goads him into saying, it's you, Oedipus. It's you. You are the guilty yeah, one. Yep. Um, but Oedipus isn't ready to receive this, and so he just shouts back uh, at him, right? Um, You've lost your power. You're stone blind, stone deaf, senses, eyes blind as stone. Tiresias, I pity you, flinging at me the very insults each man here will fling at you so soon. Oedipus, blind, lost in the night, endless night that nursed you. You can't hurt me or anyone else who sees the light. You can never touch me. And so you have this incredible back and forth between a blind prophet who Oedipus wants to accuse of being 
um, you know, blind spiritually as well or blind to the truth of things. Mm -hmm. Like, I can see, I know, you're blind, right? Both physically and uh, intellectually. Um, but as that reversal happens at the end of the play, Oedipus realizes, no, I've, I've been blind all along. And, and I think this is part of why he gouges his own eyes out, right? Yeah. This, is, this is now reflecting in physical reality what was true about me uh, the whole time. Yeah. Oof. Um, I had this quote written down, who seeks shall find, who sits with folded hands or sleeps is blind. Um, I was thinking of him actually trying to seek out. People are trying to keep him blind, but he was, like, he was trying to seek out the truth. Yeah, and there's, there's kind of a nobility to that, right? He's yeah. trying to yep. find the guilty party. He's not like, well, we can just let this slide. That's not a big deal. Right. Um, even after he's accused of it, he has to know. Mm -hmm. um, he has to find it out. Yeah, because with, even with an inkling of it, you very well could try to suppress it. Could try to suppress the truth and then just move on. But yeah. but he didn't do that. So yeah. So the, right, there's a nobility to Oedipus's character, although he he uh, at least according to this story uh, did commit the uh, these actual horrific crimes. Um, there's still a nobility to him uh, in the midst of it, right? If he's just mm -hmm. a an awful person who's just murdering people for no reason um, and committing incest willingly, right? You don't, you don't pity him at all. It's like, no, he got what he deserved. Yeah. Um, but because uh, he does seem to be trying to do what's best for the city, not just for himself, uh, there's this kind of that tragic nobility. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Ugh. Okay. Any of the other characters that you wanted to pull out or any, any portions of the play? I keep thinking of the farmer that... Um, yeah. Who, who was he with? They were, they were shepherds together, not farmer, shepherds, right? Shepherds, and then he was the one who found Oedipus and yep. then untied his ankles. Is yep. that right? And handed yep. him over. Yes. But I thought he was very interesting yes. when they, they sought him out. Yeah, so Oedipus, right, is seeking them out. We need to find somebody to confirm what happened, right? Find somebody to confirm what happened at this, this meeting place of three roads. Find what happened uh, to, you know, Jocasta's baby. Uh, and so they drag the shepherd out. And, of course, he's very unwilling to, to say say. Uh, what happened? Mm -hmm. And Oedipus has to drag it out of him. Um, and that's, I believe, kind of the last linchpin where Jocasta leaves. Yeah. What, what I think is, would be fascinating to watch, I, I haven't seen a production of this, is while this shepherd is talking, uh, there's a long stretch where Jocasta is on the stage, yeah. but she doesn't say anything. Oh, she's on stage. Um, and okay. so you just watch her facial expression and kind of see when does the, the final fatal recognition sink in, um, because very shortly she's going to, to leave. Yeah. Um, but she doesn't say anything for a good long stretch. I wasn't. Um, but she's her there on the on stage. I wasn't picturing her. Yeah, within there. But the end was absolutely terrifying when she just when she either makes the realization or realizes he knows what happened and then goes into a room and takes her own life. Terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, you you almost have in Jocasta again. I. I asked this, tried to ask the students, when does, do you think she, she really knows? Because there's almost this successive unveiling. Uh, and there's a point uh, where she says, right, uh, what should a man fear? It's all chance. Chance rules our lives. Not a man on earth can see a day ahead groping through the dark. Better to live at random, best we can. Mm. Uh, and, and her tactic with Oedipus is like, stop, stop trying to find out. Stop, stop. This can't lead to good. Just leave it alone. Leave it alone. And so there's, again, that element of you don't know but you do know mm -hmm. uh, and trying to stop this like uh what can you do if there are fates beyond your control ruling your life just throw your hands up it's all chance chance rules our lives uh don't try and pry too deep uh just just go with the flow mm. yeah i 
maybe I shouldn't go here. I keep thinking about engaging with people who don't know the gospel, don't believe um, what we believe, and how Scripture says, you know, we are, we are, we are all, we all have knowledge of God. We all know mm-hmm. this, whether we deny it or not. Um, and engaging with people in that, and this is very similar to what she's saying. So you're talking about how life is changing, how culture is changing, and we're almost moving back to that. We've we're kind of in this mode of like follow your own heart. We're we're yeah. hearing a lot of that, which we know from scriptures. Like, well, the heart is deceitful, mm-hmm. deceptive above all things. But we're trying to blind our own selves to that, unless you have scripture where there's redemption, where there's Christ, where the, there's the gospel. Um, it really does mirror that. It's like, I mean, God has created this order wor- ordered world, and all of these wonderful stories follow that. Um, yeah, I. Yeah. Fascinating yeah. to hear you talk about it and then just make those connections. Yeah, I mean, there's, I think there's in the human heart, right, this, this fear of some kind of uh, punishment or judgment. So it doesn't matter really which story you're, you're telling. Most people have a sort of, there's an, it's kind of original sin, mm-hmm. there's a judgment for that sin, and there's a method of salvation for it. And you can see that embedded in, in Greek culture, you can see that embedded in modern culture, right? Uh, if we don't, don't uh, fix the, this, this sin of climate, climate change of, of climate science, the world's going to burn in fire, right? And there's a judgment, there's a path of salvation, right? And you can kind of apply this metric to, or rubric to a lot of different things. Yeah. Um, but just the trickiness of the, the human heart that um, there is the knowledge of the truth, but that it's all twisted and mangled up and we're yeah, suppressing it at every moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need a light from outside to, to guide. Yeah. Because um, without that, uh, as you see in Oedipus's case, there's this fall. Um, yeah. I mean, it's interesting to think, could Oedipus have avoided this, right? Was there anything he could have done? And it doesn't seem like there is, right? Mm-hmm. He's, he's trying as hard as he could to avoid this fate, and yet it still comes for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, maybe to make a tie-in to, to Hamlet or something, Hamlet, by the end of the play, uh, basically says something, right? Uh, you know, death's going to come. It will come soon. If it's not soon, it's still to come, right? If it's, if it's you know, s- still will come, then, then it will be soon. Whenever it happens, it's coming. Yeah. Um, and he sort of resigns himself to uh, his, his fate. Hmm. If you are going to make any recommendations for other Greek tragedies or anything else, what next? Yeah. So, Oedip- uh, sorry, Sophocles uh, wrote a, um, I guess, a trilogy of plays or the three Theban plays. They weren't originally packaged together. They were sort of in successive uh, or different festivals, uh, but they do go together. Uh, so... Maybe after Oedipus Rex, uh, Antigone is another uh, one that is fairly easy to get into. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aeschylus is also a, a good playwright who um, I think is, is more accessible. Euripides would be the third major one, okay. but he's, uh, he is very critical of kind of the social institutions of his day, and uh, maybe they're, they're a little bit harder to, to understand or, or dive into. He's kind of the most radical one. He's, he's the one who comes on the tail end of everybody else. Uh, he lived through the Peloponnesian War as well, and so he's, he's harshly um, critical of, of their, their society, and he kind of maybe gets censured a few times for that. So Antigone, uh, maybe Agamemnon by Aeschylus. Okay. Uh, but again, these are tragedies, so they're, yeah. none of them have happy endings. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, Prometheus Bound uh, is another famous story. Okay, great. But if you want to read Re- Re- Ripides, maybe the Bacchae. Okay, okay. Terrifying. Oh, well, good. That sounds good. I'm going to read it and not watch it. <laughs> For sure. Okay. Well, anything else you want to share with us on, on this or any other um, little nuggets of information you could give us as we, as we finish up? 
Yeah, I mean, as I said, I think tragedy is a essential story form that we need. I think so. Although comedy is is the dominant one, right? Christ has raised from the dead. He is he's conquered death. Um, you know, by his resurrection, we will all rise with him. Uh, and so the Christian has a fundamentally comic view of the world. But I do think we need tragic stories because they are real. Uh, they they do happen. Um, and so we don't want to um, bury the very real darkness that exists in the world. Right. Uh, we just recognize that uh, it's been transformed in Christ and that even if somebody uh, is experiencing a tragic arc in, in their life, shall we call it that, right, due to their own sin, uh, there is hope because of Christ. Right? It's, it's not the dominant uh, story. Right? Right. Uh, Christ's death and resurrection conquers even that. Um, but it is a warning to us, and we do need to hear those warnings. Yeah. Amen. What a great place to end. Preach, Mr. Hoffman, preach. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Well, do you have a recommendation for us? I mean, you've already given us a recommendation. Yeah, yeah, Some a few, you place. Wanna... Uh, maybe, maybe a somewhat controversial one. Oh, boy. Here delete, we go. Delete social media. Yeah. Delete social media. One. Maybe just if, if you, you know, need a necessary use for it, uh, maybe you would have to make a long argument for that, but even for a month. Uh, but see, see if your life improves from getting off of it for a month, two months, yeah. permanently. Yeah. Go for it. I think that that is a great, great recommendation. Just don't delete your podcast app. No. (laughs) Yes, please don't do that. And like and subscribe our iTunes podcast. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Mr. Hoffman. Yeah, you're welcome. It's fun. It was fun. This is fun. We'll do it again soon. And have a great day. Thanks for joining us, Karis family. Bye.